0: Dear Lord Baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the South call you, Hey Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of dominoes, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. And of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone cold fox. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey,
1: um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby.
0: Look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You
1: know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow.
0: (sighs) Dear tiny Jesus, (laughs) golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat, balled-up fist pawing. was a man. He had a beard. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too, because I like to party, so I
1: like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band, and I'm
0: in the front row. Okay, deer, eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, Mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say the Powerade is delicious Mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in.
1: Wow. man. <laughs> does that make you a little uncomfortable? Watch that in church. It, it does make, It makes me uncomfortable to play it, I promise. But isn't that the way a lot of people treat God? You just kind of take the parts you like. you just kind of take the parts of God that feel good to you, the parts you like, and everybody else can have their part, and you've got your part of God that you want, your image you're going to have. And that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, isn't that kind of reality? Just, God, give me the parts of you that I like, because that feels good. But I don't want the parts that may call me to change. I don't want the parts that may call me to take a step of faith, that may call me to take this big chance. Just the parts that make me feel good. That's the only parts of God I want. I'll choose mine. You choose yours. And then the world ends up with a distorted image of who God really is. Today we're starting a new series called Image is Everything. So I get on Google, I do a search for image just to see what pops up. And what pops up are all these image consultants. For a hefty fee, you can pay someone to come to your house, your job, and they can tell you how to do whatever better. They can tell you how to dress better so people might like you better. They can tell you how to speak more effectively to improve your image. They can help make you smarter. Now, that costs some people a lot more money than it does others. But these image consultants will help form your image into whatever you want it to be. Just hire them, and you're on your way to being whatever you want. Advertisers understand the power of image. If they can sell us on an image, it may not be a product, but they sell us on the image, then we end up buying their product. Wear this cologne, guys, and women are going to just, like a magnet. Wear these clothes, ladies, and men are just going to be falling all over you. Drive this car, and you're going to be the coolest person on the block. If you live in this house, in this zip code, on this street, then you've got the image. If they can sell us that, then they've got us. We're starting a new series called... Image is everything. We're going to be looking at Scripture, at the different images people have of God. And look at how He acts, how He operates, how He interacts with humans, and how sometimes humans have a distorted image. Today, we all came in with a different image of God. And it's not necessarily bad to have different images from person to person. In the Old Testament, when you read about God, they used 16 different words to describe God. 16 different words to describe God's one personality. But we all have images of God based on maybe our parents, a friend, a pastor. Maybe you don't even know what to think of God. But image is important. I think our image of God is everything. C.S. Lewis said, I don't want my image of God. I want God. Your image of God determines a lot. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at and exposing some destructive images people have of God, learning how to get rid of those and not live with those destructive images of who he is. And then the next three messages are going to be about constructive images and how we can embrace those and live with a proper understanding and image of who God is. You know, image really is everything. The way you think about God is going to determine a lot in your life. It's going to determine success, failure, happiness, sadness. That's why it's so important that we get rid of the destructive images of God. The problems that we deal with, the problems that individuals deal with, whether it's being really depressed or not being able to hold a relationship together, many times that requires counseling, many times that requires medication, and that's all great stuff to help people get back on track. But many problems people have would be wiped away if they had a proper image of God. Many marriages would be healed if somebody would just change their image of God. Many careers would be put on track if everybody had the right image of God. Many challenges would not be faced with fear but with faith if we had the proper image of God. We wouldn't have to walk through life scared to death of the next step if we had the right image of God. So image is everything. It determines a lot in your life. You know, image, one thing it determines is how I see myself. My image of God determines how I see me, how I see myself. If I'm struggling with really, really low self-image, I could be and probably am suffering from a really, really low God image. I don't say that to make you feel bad, but it's true. Because if you knew the way God wants you to know Him, if you knew how He wanted to have a relationship with you, it would boost the way you feel about yourself. You know, at times in my life when my confidence is down, when I'm worried, when I don't feel like myself, are the times that I'm disconnected with God, are the times that I'm not living with that image of a heavenly father that loves me, that sent his son to earth to die for me so I could go back in heaven and live with him. Sounds kind of simple, but when we forget that, when we lose that image of God, our confidence can go down and we can start to look in the mirror and say, what are you doing? What's wrong? And then marriages can start to have problems. Careers can start to have problems. Having the right image of God will determine how you see yourself. In Jeremiah chapter 29, listen what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's the kind of God we want to be connected with. If we could all get that, get our minds around that part of God, it would change our self-image. It would change the way we see ourselves when God says, I've got good plans for you. I want you to be successful. I don't want you to have to deal with disaster. I want to give you a future. I want to give you hope. Wow, what an image of God. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says this, for The Lord your God has arrived to live among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with great gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. God will calm our fears with his love. Now, the next time I'm afraid, I need to turn to Zephaniah three seventeen and realize God doesn't want me to be afraid. The next time I look in the mirror and I'm scared to death of the next step, remember, God doesn't want me to be afraid. When I see God for who he really is, I can more accurately see myself and determine my self-worth. My view of God also determines how I see others. The way you treat others says a lot about you and the kind of person you are. But it also says a lot about the way you see God. I mean, are are you a judgmental person that you're never cutting anybody any slack? It's hard to move to forgiveness. It's hard to move to put to rest when somebody hurts you, when somebody does something wrong then maybe that's the way you see God. Chances are, if that's you, you see God as some cosmic grader that grades your papers like very, very, very strict. And God just is looking at your performance and only pleased if you get everything right, only pleased if you get a hole in one, only pleased if you bat a thousand. If that's the way you see God, then oftentimes that's the way you're going to treat other people. And I don't have to tell you that if you grew up in a home with a father or mother that you could never, ever please, you could never, ever be good enough. That's probably because that's the way they saw God, and they didn't feel like they could ever be good enough, that they could never do all the right stuff. So our image of God determines a lot in our life. It determines how we see ourselves. It determines how we see others. Not only does it determine how we see others by the way we treat them, it determines how we look to other people for approval. More people have been held back from their dreams. More people have been unsuccessful. More people have not been able to live up to their potential because they care too much about what other people think. By seeking the approval of others. Man, I I fall into that hole all the time because I just have this weakness that I want you to like me. And if you don't, I'll come to your house (laughs) and we'll talk. And by the time I leave, you're going to like me. But it's so easy to fall into that hole of, what does this person think? What does that person think? What does she think? What does he think? That will drive you crazy to care too much about what other people think. And so many people have never been able to live up to their potential because they care too much about what other people think. They focus too much on humans for their approval instead of going to the ultimate source, God. Listen what the New Testament had to say about Jesus when it comes to thinking about what other people thought about him. John 2 verse 25 says, He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Jesus Christ did not need man's testimony. In other words, Jesus didn't need people to think positively about him. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew who his father was. He knew who his ultimate source of approval was. So it really didn't matter what people thought. He was still going to do what he was going to do because he had this connection with God. And it's the same thing with us. Yes, take advice from people. Yes, listen to wisdom. But do what God has called you to do. And when you do that, it does not matter what other people think. And if you have this image of God that He's this cosmic grader that's always marking down a good grade or a bad grade or an A or a D or, or whatever, we're going to end up transferring that to our children. We're going to be transferring that to other people. And then we're going to be looking to other people for good grades and for approval. And God says, Don't do that. I'm the only source you need for approval. Jesus Christ saw God as his ultimate support. And at times in life, people are going to be all for us, and at times in life, some people are going to be all against us. But ultimately, God is who we're out to please by the way we live our life. My image of God determines how I live my life. If I believe that there's a Father in heaven, that God created me, and that ultimately I'm going to leave this earth and go somewhere, we're all leaving this earth. No way we can get out of it. We are leaving. We're going somewhere else. And if I believe that somewhere else is to be with God, then I'm going to live my life one way. If I don't care where that somewhere else is, I'm going to live my life another way. If I don't know, if I'm confused, if I'm just not sure, then I'm going to live my life another way. The way you view God determines how you live your life. And the next two messages after this one, we're going to be talking about Different destructive images of God. And how some images are bad for us to have about God. They look like what you saw on the screen. And then we're going to follow that up with a few messages about constructive images of God. And how we can embrace those. How we can get rid of the bad ones and embrace the good ones. You know, if you know me very well, you know that I don't like buffets. I've told you that before. It has a little bit to do with germs, I know. Here's what I think when I go to a buffet. I'm going through the line with my tray, putting my food on there, and I see the guy in front of me, and I think, did he wash his hands? <laughs> because he's touching the utensil I'm going to touch to get my food, then go back to my table with my hand that I touched the utensil with, that he touched, maybe unwashed, and then I'm going to pick up my roll and put it in my mouth, and I'm going to eat the parts of the roll my fingers touch. Now, any of you in the healthcare profession are probably going, give him my card afterwards. He needs to, needs to come see me. But that's what I think. That's what goes through my mind. So I don't like buffets because I don't think they're really clean. The one thing I love about our church, we don't have potlucks, and I don't have to wonder about who made what and what kitchen and all that stuff. But so <laughs> we go down the aisle in the buffet, and here's the part about the buffet. Not only is it a little less than perfect when it comes to cleanliness, A buffet, I think the food is stale. I don't think it's as good. But anyway, people go down the buffet, and what food do you get? You get the food you like, the food you want to try. You can get a slice of pizza, side of mashed potatoes, maybe some broccoli and spaghetti and shrimp and some Salisbury steak and top that all off with some banana pudding. You can carry that back to your table, sit it down and take a bite. Oh, that's nasty. Slide it over, go back with a clean plate, and start all over. At a buffet, you can have it any way you want it. That's the way some people treat God. They come up to God and they say, God, give me the good stuff. Only give me the stuff that makes me feel good. Give me a great Sunday morning so I can sing and see people I know. But, hey, the commitment stuff during the week, God, let me just back off on that a little bit. I'm not going to have a full helping of that just a little bit. Maybe none. The part about, God, when you want me to deny myself, God, that's un-American, How could you do that? So see, those parts of God where he asks us to deny our own wants and needs and our own desires are a little harder to put on our plate when we're treating God like the cosmic buffet where we just go down the line and we pick up what we want. So distorted image of God, number one, is the all-you-can-eat buffet. Getting it exactly the way you want it, when you want it. Many people live their entire lives just picking the parts of God they like and not putting the parts they don't like on their plate. This is nothing new. It happened thousands of years ago, thousands of years before Christ was born. It was happening. You don't have to read your Bible long if you start in Genesis chapter 1 to read about the Israelites, to read about how Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, had them in captivity. And they cried out for hundreds of years, God, come and rescue us. God, we, we don't want to be slaves anymore. Come and rescue us from Pharaoh's hand. So finally, God sends this leader named Moses who goes up to Pharaoh and says, let these people go. These are my people. You need to let them go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses comes back with his staff, works all these miracles. He still says, no. Then all these plagues start to come on Egypt. And finally, after children have died, after the crops have been destroyed, after the water supply has been destroyed, Pharaoh says, get those Israelites out of here. So he tells them, go. So Moses takes the Israelites and he's leading them out of Egypt. They go out into the desert and it was night. God showed up in the sky in the form of a a pillar of fire. There's God in the sky. So they've got their way. They know where to go. They know how to go. They know what path to take because there's God guiding them. With a pillar of fire. Then, daytime, can't see the fire, so God is in the form of a cloud and He guides them through the desert. Then they don't have any food because they're traveling, a million people, no food. So what does God do? God allows food to rain down from heaven. It's called manna. The word in Hebrew really means what is that, or we don't know what it is. It's just this stuff that <laughs> fell out of the sky and they could just, they could just, look it up. They could just come down, come outside and you know, hold their mouths open like you do for snowflakes. And they could just eat. I mean, a miracle right there. God took care of them. Then he started feeding them with quail. They just came out and dead birds just falling out of the sky so they could eat. God took care of them. Then they get up to the ocean. And by this time, Pharaoh is getting mad because everything in his city's destroyed. His whole country's in shambles. And he thinks, I should have killed him. So he gets his whole army together. He sends all of his army after these Israelites who are unarmed and poor. And here he comes, and they can see him coming. They can hear him coming. They can see the dust cloud from the chariots. And they've got to be thinking, We are dead. He's going to kill us. Pharaoh's going to slaughter us right here in the desert. Moses steps up says, don't worry, i got this thing under control. They're thinking, how? The Egyptians are coming to kill us. Here's water. I didn't have swim lessons, so what are we going to do? Moses steps up with his big staff, spreads his arms apart. The ocean opens up. They start walking through on dry ground. They get to the other side. By that time, the Egyptians are in the water. Moses does this. The water comes back together, and their enemies are drowned. I don't know if that happens today. I know you're thinking, well, maybe if I get my enemy after me. But their enemies were gone. And God delivered them again. Then they get to the point where God calls Moses up on a mountain. They had set up camp. God calls Moses up on the mountain. You've seen the movie Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston goes up on the mountain. This big lightning bolt comes down. Boom, puts the Ten Commandments into these tablets, perfectly formed out of the rock. I don't know if that's how it really happened. But Moses up on the mountain. All that's happening. And they're getting restless down at the bottom of the mountain, they're wondering, where is he? What happened? Why is he not here? He's been gone. And so they have to wait. Because they've been going through the line going, oh, God, give us those miracles. Thank you for the quail. Thank you for that stuff. We don't know what it is. It falls out of the sky, but it tastes great. Can we have more of that? And God's just guiding them. And God's just giving them miracle after miracle. And they're watching this. And they're standing there with their plates saying, more, more, more. We love it. And then God says, "Yeah, I think you need to wait a little bit. I think you need to take a break from the buffet. And when that happens, they get upset. God had done all these miracles. They had watched that. Do you think it would be easy to stick with God if you saw that? If you just walk downstairs every evening, boom, there's dinner on the table. You're out, you're lost, boom, here's a big compass in the sky that points which way to go. Your enemies are after you. You just, you know, run them in the water. I mean, wouldn't it be easy to follow God if you saw those miracles all the time? Would you ever turn back? I don't, I don't think I would. If, if I saw him perform the kind of miracles he did for the Israelites, and then God says, I need you to wait. And they weren't good waiters. They didn't want to wait. In fact, listen what happens. In Exodus 32, verse 4, it says, And Aaron took the gold melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So that what they're saying is, we would rather worship a cow than wait on God. What they're saying is, God, we loved it when we were at the Cosmic Spiritual Buffet so because we, we could take all those miracles. We could take all the blessing. We could take all the protection. But now you're asking us to do something that's not comfortable, something we don't want to do. We're going to make a cow. <laughs> we're going to worship the cow. And they made this cow and they went up to it and said, thank you, cow, for bringing us out of Egypt. Thank you, Cal, for spreading the waters open. Thank you, Cal, for feeding us. They were looking at this image, this man-made object, and saying, thank you for what you've done for us. They were getting their hope and their confidence from this man-made object. They got tired of waiting on God. They'd gotten all the good parts they wanted to get, but now it's time for the waiting and the parts that may not be so comfortable. So they turn to something that's man-made for comfort. Doesn't that sound familiar to today? How many times have you found yourself turning to something man-made for comfort instead of God? How many times have you found yourself shopping or spending thinking, if I can just get this or buy this or finance this or whatever, then I'm going to be happy. How many times have you found yourself thinking, if I could just get the right job, if I could just drive the right car, if I could just live in the right house, if I could just have that one relationship that I've been longing for, then everything will be great. Just like they turn to a man-made image in the shape of a cow, today people turn to man-made images all the time. Sometimes that image is in the form of a drink. Sometimes it's in the form of a pill. Sometimes it's in the form of some other addiction. But when our image of God is, God, you give me all this good stuff, you connect me with a church that makes me feel good all the time, but don't ask me for a deep commitment. Don't ask me to step out on faith and do something. Don't ask me to write a little bigger check. Don't ask me to, to do something that I don't know what the end result's going to be. Don't ask me to take a big step of faith and get into another relationship. Don't ask me to deny my wants. How many people, instead of looking to God for that comfort, look to the world and man made things for that comfort we do it all the time and treat god like we're going through the buffet line just asking for the good stuff and not wanting any of the challenging stuff any of the stuff that makes us afraid any of the stuff that causes us to take a step of faith any of the stuff that causes us to be uncomfortable and god says i want all of you to accept all of me You know, it's possible to go through life just filling our plates with what we want and be left spiritually malnourished, never experiencing the fullness of what God wants us to experience. In the book, the deity formerly known as God, Jarrett Stevens, says it like this. Could it be that you desire to pick the best parts of everything and have been left with the worst parts of nothingness? A bland and boring menu of beliefs that exists only within the confines of your personal experiences. A faith that calls nothing out of you and ultimately gives you nothing in return. An all-you-can-eat buffet might be good for food, but it's terrible when we're dealing with God. God says, I want all of you and I want you to accept all of me. So our first distorted image we need to get rid of is the image that God is just a buffet where we can pick and choose what we want.